It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today our guest is a vocalist, songwriter, a storyteller, and founder of a fascinating educational program called Growing Up Jazz. Our guest today is Andromeda Touré. Andromeda, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show. So I, I want to throw out a statement first that is attributed to you, which I totally love. Uh, and that statement is that every American has had their life touched by jazz, but most don't realize how. Yeah, so I say that because there are so many ways that jazz has impacted like everyday life. For example, um, have, do you know who Charles Black is? I do. Well, most people don't. Most people don't know that Charles Black was a lawyer who actually was studying like architecture, Greek architecture. And he saw Louis Armstrong perform in the 1930s and was blown away by seeing a black genius because he had only seen black people portrayed as subservient and unintelligent. And it inspired him so much that he went on to become one of the lawyers who overturned, you know, he worked on the Brown versus the Board of Education case to end segregations in schools. Every American goes to desegregated schools now. And that is just one example of the ways that jazz has touched the life of every American. You know, you you mentioned that about Charles Black, and it's interesting. Not only have I seen that in one of your videos uh, yeah. during uh, this Black History Month, but also in a documentary that my wife and I watched uh, recently where they were talking about that uh, because it was focused on Louis Armstrong as well as some of the people that were in his life and were either inspired by him or maybe given an opportunity to hone their own skills within the music itself. Yeah. And he was a very influential man on uh, so many lives uh, for so many people. Yeah, there are so many jazz musicians that, um, I mean, he did that unknowingly, right? But there are so many jazz musicians also that have used their positions and their platforms to help make change in America that people don't even realize. And I think that that's... Growing up with two jazz musicians for parents and being completely immersed in the world of jazz since the time I was born, it's one of the things that was always very apparent to me, not just the music, but the history, which I thought was fascinating. Speaking of fascinating, uh, there is you and in your portfolio that you're a storyteller, you're a vocalist, a songwriter, uh, you are involved in educational pursuits. Where is it that you see yourself shining the most or uh, heading in a certain path or direction? Or is there one particular keyhole for you? I think that that's a wonderful question because so many musicians right now are thinking about where they're going to be next year or in five years because this pandemic has, you know, completely gotten rid of all the gigs. And so I had that experience as well last year. And it caused me to, I was already doing work with the history of jazz and, and talking about this um, before the pandemic, but it, especially in light of everything that was happening in our country last year with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the election, so many people needed these stories and so many people needed this information that I dove into an 
even more. I'm on um, several different committees for diversity, equity, and inclusion, and BIPOC parents, um, you know, doing this kind of education. And I realized that jazz has so much to contribute, and I'm really, really passionate about it. And so I really feel like this is this is where I belong. Not that I'm giving up on singing, but especially right now where everything is still online. I, I love this work. I'm passionate about it, and I feel like I'm, I'm good at it. Um, so I, I want to continue the anti-racist training that I'm doing through jazz with Growing Up Jazz. And, you know, when music starts happening live more regularly, I will, of course, keep singing. I sing when I'm giving my, my program, by the way. So <laughs> even though I'm, I'm mostly talking, I'm still singing. Well, if any of our listeners want to experience your body of work, it, it, it's quite amazing. And you are very articulate. You're a great spokesperson for the music and for life mm -hmm. itself uh, because of your perspective on life and how music has impacted you, but also led you down this journey to tell the story of America through jazz. Yeah, I mean, there is... Even even today, I was looking at um, Billie Holiday. Somebody this morning was asking me about Billie Holiday, and it was a student. And they said, you know, I don't really like Billie Holiday. Her music's too sad. And I said, okay, but why was why was she sad? What were the things, what were the stories? I, and, you know, oftentimes, and, I, and I've said this online before, oftentimes her legacy sort of gets relegated to sadness and substance abuse. And often people forget to look behind and see the reasons why. And those are the spaces that I want to shine the light on. And I think as a person of color, it is also really important for people to tell their own stories and that there's an opportunity now in today's world, really for um, people to listen as we're telling our stories. And so if I can help to be a voice to shine the light on areas of jazz that maybe were not shined before, that's what I'm here to do. In growing up, Andromeda, I, mm -hmm. I know you are the daughter of uh, two jazz musicians, one being Steve Turay. Yeah. Uh, and, and your mom, who is an amazing cellist, Akua Dixon. So let me ask you first, uh, do you have a conch shell and a cello in your room? Not in my room, but I do in my house. <laughs> Can you yeah. play both? I play neither. The only reason why there's a cello in the house is because my mom lives with us now. So, <laughs> so her, she's here with her cello. And I just think that conch shells are pretty. So I don't have one that's like cut off at the end to play, but I do have one like in the bathroom that's just decorative. How much did living uh, with two parents involved in the music form you to who and what you are today? I think that it was the only thing that I knew when I was growing up, and I absolutely loved it. So I don't think that I ever really considered anything else. You have to realize that before I even went to school, my parents both, my mom was working with Max Roach, my dad was working with Woody Shaw. The bands were rehearsing in our living room. This is, you know, I was sitting there playing with my Duplo blocks and <laughs> listening to Max Roach. Like, it was such an influential way to grow up. And then when I did started going to school, I had, um, you know, most kids went to summer camp. My dad was on tour with Dizzy Gillespie and I went with them, you know, or, or whomever. So it's, it's what I saw. It's what I felt. And 
I absolutely love jazz so much. I mean, it's such great music. You guys know that. I don't have to tell you that. So uh, I, I never really thought about doing anything else. Well, you know, not only are you the benefactor of uh, this uh, musical influence, but you're also uh, the benefactor of a culture and ethnicity that gives you a wide scope uh, of uh, universal thought to bring into the picture because there is uh, Latina in the family, there is uh, Italian, you've got so many aspects that have molded you into a, a rather multicultural individual. Absolutely. And I think that's also one of the reasons why it's so important for me to be speaking about this history and this music right now, because I know how to talk to all kinds of people. And I, and I understand all kinds of people. With my, my mom's family is African American. My grandfather was a sharecropper. So I, I understand that history. I understand that struggle. And, you know, my mom grew up in the projects in the Bronx. Like I have a connection to that side of the traumas of being black in America. And I walk through life. I always say I identify as being a, a multiracial person, but you know, my lived experience is that of a black woman. That is how I'm, I'm seen and treated. But then I go on my dad's side of the family, and not only are they different because they are white looking, they economically were in a completely different space, right? And so I have opposite ends of, of the spectrum in terms of, of race, but also in terms of um, finances that I grew up being able to see like how different America can be depending on what's going on. And my dad's mom is is Mexican. And so I have that cultural influence as well. And my dad also being mixed, you know, was bullied as a kid growing up. They called him a spick. He had to deal with all of that too. So I was really fortunate to have parents who were equipped to prepare me to be in the world as a mixed person and to advocate for myself as I choose to identify. You know, you're kind of, uh, for lack of better description, maybe in a fun way, you're a human happy hour. <laughs> Thank you. I mean that in a complimentary way. Uh, it, it, it gives you a better perspective and a respect for individuals and others other than yourself to have this broad spectrum available to you to change your thinking and acceptance of, uh, of other people. Yeah. And the thing that is so special about my family is that the thing that brought them together was jazz. The thing that brought my parents together was jazz. They would have never met if it wasn't for jazz. And it was also when I was very little, I remember looking at my mom's family and my dad's family and being like, what? Where do I fit in? What do these people have in common? Like, this is so different. But they both, both families loved jazz. It was this thing that overall brought my whole family together. And then my dad's parents even met at a Count Basie concert. <laughs> like, wow. It's such a part, jazz is such a part of my, my family legacy. So what else was I going to do with my life, right? <laughs> and, and having said that, you are the founder uh, of an educational program called Growing Up Jazz. Yeah. Uh, is that derivative of your heritage and your life? Yeah, so Growing Up Jazz started 
as just me sharing my story and my experience. And then I realized that there is a way that I can share this information that allows other people to have their own experience of growing up jazz because the jazz community has certain perspective and cultural ideologies that if you learn them, it changes how you not only listen to music, but how you see the world. And if I could teach that to other people, then they could grow up jazz too. You don't need to have two jazz musicians for parents in order to do it. Well, this program is designed for elementary school children. Would that be a fair assessment? No, it's more for high school students, college students, adults. I do have more of like a music thing that I do with with younger kids, but with this, the the growing up jazz, because it's a a very strong topic and I cover a lot of, of complex history, it's better suited for older students. But you talk about, through this program, uh, jazz techniques as it applies to real life? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, improvisation. That is, being able to improvise is a life skill. And if you are comfortable with it, some people cannot handle any kind of change or thinking on the fly. I remember that was always um, something interesting that I experienced when I live in Japan, because culturally, it's very like follow the rules, you follow the rules. And if something happens, it's getting people to understand you got to improvise was was always tricky there. And, you know, people here have that same issue. So that's even just one example of a, a tangible life skill. I improvised the other day, our power went out because of the snowstorm. And I do not function without my coffee, okay? So I went outside to the barbecue grill and I boiled the water on the grill and I poured it over the beans so I could get my coffee. Improvisation. Uh, When life (laughs) gives you lemons, you use the gas. Exactly. And and that's great. And and I think that is what helps bridge the gaps in life. You, You find a way to make things happen even when you get thrown a left curve and you weren't expecting it. Yeah, that's so important to be able to do that. But I think there's so much that you can learn from jazz about community. There's so much that you can learn from jazz about listening. Half of playing jazz is listening. Jazz is a conversation. When you have musicians in in a band, even, even when they're taking a solo, the other musicians are reacting to them and they're reacting to the other musicians. You can't do that if you're not listening. That is a really important skill for people to have. Oh, and that's a great point. And I'm glad you bring that up because, as you said, uh, jazz is all about improvisation. And when someone uh, stands out on a solo and they start a little riff and take it in a different direction, it still comes back to center because there's a respect for the people around you uh, and you are all communicating with each other. And like you said, uh, you're listening. Yes. And I think that that's also one of the parallels that I see between jazz and America in general. When you're performing jazz, everybody that's in the band is following a set of like predetermined rules. Those are the changes, the music, everybody knows which chords we're going to play. And then within that boundary, you improvise. And that's basically what America has done since its inception, except instead of chord changes, it's the Constitution. Uh You know, we have created a whole new world here that has been largely improvised within a set of, you know, predetermined boundaries. So your program, Growing Up Jazz, is relatively new. It it really launched uh, last year in November. 
Um, no, I would say more like June of last year in, in this form, in this form. I've, but I have been advocating for, for jazz and talking about these topics in jazz all over the world. I spent about six years living overseas and I had the great fortune of not only being able to perform at concerts all over the world, but, um, I performed for a lot of embassies and I got to talk with dignitaries from all over the world. And I was always sharing the history and the stories behind either in person when I spoke with people or from the stage. So it's, it's new to put it in this context of a program, but it's something that I've been doing for most of my life. So for the time being, in terms of executing this program, is it done basically on a virtual basis because of our pandemic? Yes. So for now, I'm doing it on Zoom, and I would love to be able to do this in person, in person with people, you know, eventually when it's safe to do so. But I think that the magic of this happening when it did and everybody's gotten used to Zoom at this point is that it also gives me the opportunity to be able to get it to so many other students and, and adults that want to take the course all over the world that might not have had the budget to fly me out there, you know. It, it helps to just branch it out by doing it digitally. Like, and, and time-wise too, I'm a mom. I want to be here with, with my kids and, you know, maybe I don't want to fly to, to Finland just to give a lecture <laughs> and come back if I can do it on Zoom. I've designed it so that it works on Zoom. You know, it's, it's really amazing what technology has offered us today. The opportunity not only to communicate with each other online, but it just makes the world a much smaller place. Are you in the process of maybe uh, developing a curriculum or a uh, study program that would be incorporated at either universities or high schools and so forth? So one of the things that I do in my program is, is leading discussions. And right now, unless I was training other teachers to do so, I'm, I'm not there yet. I really want to be there to sort of guide people and, and, and help them through the, the process. So right now, I'm, I would love to do, the sh do my program at universities, but I would want to do it. But it does have a curriculum. It does come with a workbook that students get to follow along and, and you know, essay questions and, and all this kind of stuff to, to go along with the program. But I don't know about handing it off just yet. <laughs> I, I would imagine, uh, since it's so close and personal, uh, to you that uh, just handing it off uh, may be difficult, uh, let it go kind of thing. Uh, th that would be hard for all of us, especially when you create something that is wonderful and can benefit so many. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So how can people learn more about that program? They can email me. They can just um, contact me, you know, social media, whatever. And I'm, and I'm happy to send them a, a one sheet, any information that they might need. I am pretty booked through, gosh, like May. But after that, I, I am available to, to teach some more. So you hopefully will hear from educators uh, as a result of uh, your efforts. Yes, yes, absolutely. That The point is to get it to um, as many people, specifically Americans, as possible, because I'm looking at American history through the lens of jazz and talking about the effects of racism and how that has, has shaped the music. And so it's not a music class. 
although we do do a lot of listening of music, it's not something that's like, oh, this is for music students. It's history, really, what I'm talking about. And it has an anti-racist directive. So I know there's some places that are definitely not looking for that, but there's a lot of places that are. And if I can help in any way, I'm here. So there are two websites in your life, then. Uh, There's one for growing up. And what is that? www.growingupjazz.com. And then, of course, people can learn more about you on the uh, artistic performance side of your life. And that is? www.andromedatoray.com. When this pandemic goes away, which we are all confident that it will, what's going to happen to you then uh, when this goes away? Are you going to jump back into the the artist side of life, or are you going to stick with the educational pursuits? Right now, I'm sticking with the educational pursuits because I find that right now in, in this point in time in history in America, that this is more important than me having a singing career. And also the luxury of being a jazz singer is that I don't need to be 25 <laughs> to be a jazz singer. You, you can be 65 and be a jazz singer. You can be 75 and be a jazz singer. So I know that that is always there for me. I will obviously still do some gigs. There's a place that I've had a residency for, for gosh, six, seven years in New York City that I sing every Thursday night called Winnie's. I will definitely go back to Winnie's and, you know, just to sing jazz and to keep it going. But my focus is really on this work. And especially within my, my own community, helping to, to organize and, and bring people to the table and having common discussions. Because I think once you understand a little bit about the history, you realize in a lot of ways how similar everyone is, and you can start to see things from another perspective and actually move forward together. So are you still recording at this point? Are you still working on any particular projects? I don't have any music projects that I'm working on at the moment, no. I have talked about it, but I'm so passionate about this, and I feel like this is so important to do right now that I don't want to be sidetracked. I'm a mom, and being present with my my son especially, he's 20 months old, and so (laughs) I'm his primary caretaker, so I only have so many hours in the day. So if I'm going to take time to go somewhere, I'm thinking what is going to make the most impact. And yes, it would be the most impact for me if I went back to singing and recorded a new album. But what would be most impactful for the world is to continue the work that I'm doing with my education program. And and really, I think about it for my son. I want to create a, a world that he's inheriting that is a more friendly place. He, my son is mixed. My husband is from Germany. So, you know, he's, he's mixed even further. He's got an immigrant for a dad. <laughs> so, what, are, what about some of the other things that you were involved with pre-pandemic? I, I know you were involved with the amazing production of Sleep No More in New York. Uh, and if you haven't experienced that, it's uh, quite a, an amazing evening in, in theatrical production and, and so many other elements that are brought into it as well. Yeah. So immersive theater is also something that I really love. I actually went to college first for theater and then I switched and did vocal jazz. But I love, I love, love, love theater. And a lot of like old school jazz is quite theatrical if if you watch it. And so that has a huge influence on me. I had written a one woman immersive theater 
show with all, all original compositions, jazz, um, just before the pandemic, but I didn't get the opportunity to get that off the ground because of the pandemic. But it's there, it's written, I can always circle back to it when the time is right. Yeah. And the, the show that I wrote is about ikigai, which is a concept that I learned in Japan. The word translated means a reason for being. And the philosophy is that everyone has a reason for being. And it's sort of like a Venn diagram of what you love, what you're good at, what you can be paid for, and what the world needs. And so I wrote this show in four movements to reflect that sort of circle of life, if you will, and take people on a journey through Ikigai with live jazz. And I feel like I have found my Ikigai with doing my Growing Up Jazz program. As young as you are, you've had so many other experiences, too, that have contributed to it. And, and I, I think it helps your perspective. Uh, you, you were a vocalist uh, on many recordings. I think you have four to your credit. Uh, you've also performed with a number of notable people in the world, including uh, trumpeter John Faddis, uh, and you That was amazing. That was probably my most favorite concert I've ever done. He, he is an amazing talent. I've known John since I was a very, very young girl, and he's, I love him dearly. He's amazing. So tell me about the fact that you were the last Raylette. And yes, you don't know I what was the last was. one hired before Ray passed away. I dropped out of Berkeley College of Music to go on tour with Ray Charles, and that was scary and exciting and wonderful, and I think his work ethic is always something that really amazed me because when I went to work with him, he was a much older man. And, you know, those tour schedules did not slow down. He was performing. We were traveling all day, rehearsing, soundcheck. His, I, I just couldn't believe his work ethic and his vision to build what he was able to build out of, out of his career starting where he did. And so that has always been a huge inspiration to me to create a space where there wasn't one before. And that's what I'm doing with Growing Up Jazz. I created a space here where there wasn't one before. Well, that's why I brought that up, because I, I know that uh, it, it's not only fun to have said uh, that this is on your resume uh, as a Raylette, uh, but also uh, look at the influence that it's had and the inspiration he's given you. Yeah. I mean, working with Ray was not just me. It was my uncle. My uncle played drums for Ray for like 20 years. My dad also played with Ray. And then Ray came and recorded a couple songs with my dad on one of his albums later in life. So it was sort of a family affair. And you've done some things with Saturday Night Live as well as your father has done as well. Yeah. Yeah. I love working at Saturday Night Live. It's Everyone there is hilarious, and it's such a fun place to work. I mean, being at Saturday Night Live definitely makes me happy. <laughs> is your dad still doing that, by the way? My dad is still doing that. They have them very socially distanced. They have He's like in his own little like plastic booth, and he has his own dressing room now. They're on a completely different floor. They're not even upstairs on the stage like they used to be when you see you know, the guest that walks out down the um, front stairs, but they're still there. And I, I did manage to snag a, a vaccine appointment for him next week. So that it'll make me feel a lot better about him going into work Great. once he's, I know he's got to get two of them, but still I, I'm, I'm looking forward to him having that layer of protection. 
So what's next for you? Do you have a specific agenda just yet, or are you just going to go with the flow and develop uh, these programs and your life? I do have I do have an agenda. I'm actually later today speaking with some people about making a documentary, a growing up jazz documentary, just to sort of expand the reach of the program and help more people to to find it and to know about it so that I can get this information out there into the world. And that's really my focus right now. I mentioned before, I am volunteering with my town's diversity, equity and inclusion committee. And there's also a committee for for parents here uh, trying to get more diversity into the education systems. And so I'm really sort of infusing myself both nationwide and locally to organizing to make the world that I live in, that other people live in, and that my son is going to inherit um, a more friendly place. Well, fantastic. Uh, I, I can tell you, Andromeda, this has been a sheer joy of spending some time with you today on All That's Jazz, and we are privileged and honored to have you as our guest. Thank you so much. Thank you for for inviting me and for giving me an opportunity to share some of what I'm doing with your listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with educator, vocalist, and jazz artist Andromeda Touré. For more information about our guest, visit andromedatouré.com. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. Please join us next week for a conversation with Grammy-nominated artists Gene and Marcus Baylor, otherwise known as The Baylor Project. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, Apple Podcast, and Spotify as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.